Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our stuff, but they stay frostbitten. You're now tuned to Sounds of MaximumFM.ca and your preferred podcast player of choice. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Stopping us, ain't no topping us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Ain't no stopping us, ain't no topping us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Oh, you didn't know? Yo ass better call somebody. Indeed, indeed. Tell a that we are live on the airwaves. <clears throat> and we are back after... Uh, what, two-week hiatus, give or take? I wasn't here in the studio last week. But the important thing is I am here in studio, and I will not be alone tonight. Uh, tonight's guests include my man's DJ XP and Everything Oshan. They will be in studio tonight. Um, they will be here a little later on, but we're definitely going to have a lot to talk about. We're going to be talking about Nicki Minaj basically blowing up all over Joe Button. We're going to be talking about Jay-Z and his new partnership with the NFL and get into the whole minutia of that. We're going to be discussing the Rich Paul rule and how that got quickly rescinded after people realized how stupid it was and discriminatory as well. We're going to get into all of that. But before we do, man, you guys already know what I like to get into to start the show off, man. I got some stuff to get off of my chest. So with that being said, I think it's time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. Now, before we let that ish breathe, a couple shout-outs are in order. Uh, first and foremost, uh, give a big shout-out to the lovely people at LiveInTheSix.com. They are a blog that is all about promoting the diversity and the cultural aspects of the city that we know and love as Toronto. Um, I am a guest blogger on that site, so shouts to them for, uh, you know, doing the cross-promotion and what have you, and it's a really fun and interactive site, to be honest, like, they talk about lifestyle, music, entertainment, you name it, like, anything that makes Toronto stand out is what they discuss on the blog, so make sure you go check it out when you can, it is liveinthesix.com. Also, another big shout-out goes to my friends and co-hosts of the new podcast that is out there. It is called Awkward and Black, and it features Jay and Britt as the co-hosts of that show. They're about two episodes in, and they deal with um, everything that's in and outside of the black paradigm from a black nerd perspective. So basically a subsection of black culture that you don't necessarily uh, get to hear from on a regular basis like you would from other perspectives. So they are here to fill in that void and deliver that perspective. They recently did, uh, I think they're on episode two now. Um, their first episode was on the perspective of blackness and what blackness means. And the second episode uh, went in on interracial dating, and they really covered a lot of uh, groundwork on that episode. So make sure you go check them out. They're on uh, Apple. Uh, they're on, sorry, they're on iTunes or Apple. Yeah, they're on Apple basically. Uh, and they're also on YouTube as well. And make sure you go check them out on social media. I think they're on Twitter. They're on Instagram and a whole bunch of other stuff. But make sure you type in Awkward and Black and you'll find it. So shout out to Jay and Britt. I'm definitely going to have them in studio one of these days for sure. All right. Now that the shouts are in order, let's get to the brass tacks of things, all right? So like I said, let that ish breathe. I got some things to get off my chest, and I wasn't here last week to discuss it. So I'm going to discuss it now. 
Recently, for the last week or two now, everyone and their mama has been making their own list, their own top 50 list that include uh, top 50 rappers of all time. Now, a lot of these lists have been troll lists. A lot of these lists have been people's own personal lists. Whatever the case may be, people have responded and they have been angry. Um, And this is a topic that is not new. This is a topic that's been highly discussed for a number of years now, for the last... I want to say 15 years at the very least, mainly because you couldn't really discuss a top 50 rappers list between 1980, whatever, to like 2000. You couldn't really do it because it was still a relatively young um, art form. But now that we're in 2019, you can definitely talk about it. Even back in 2003, 2004, you could probably talk about it because you had about... let's say, what, 25, 26 years under the belt of hip-hop, so you can definitely talk about a potential top 50 uh, list. I think even The Source, on one of their anniversary issues, I think it was their 15th anniversary issue back in 2003, and I I bought this issue back when I was, like, what, 14, 15 years old, and it was their top 100 MCs of all time. I remember that. Kind of brought back memories. But I'm sure by now that list has definitely changed. But um, going back to the list, I mean, a lot of people made their own list. Like, I believe Ebro from Hot 97 made his list. Peter Rosenberg made his own list. I think Joe Budden made his own list because Joe Budden was number three on one of those lists. I'm thinking, okay, it's got to be Joe Budden for sure. And, yeah, like, everyone just started making their own list. I think Six Buzz made their top 50 Toronto uh, rappers list. I didn't really understand that one because a lot of people were omitted, like a lot of people from the 90s and the 2000s and even like the late 80s were omitted. So maybe that was like a top 50 list of rappers in the last 10 years or top 50 rappers that you should really look out for. Could have been that. Um, nonetheless, a lot of people made their own list. I, I even saw like a top 50 uh, rappers list from Ottawa. And then again, people were making their own personal list. So this is what I got to say about it. I discussed this with some of my friends basically on social media as well as the group chats and what have you. And I remember one of my friends, he made his own personal list and I got tagged in it. And he had, I think he had Mace at number three or like within the top five, but I didn't take any offense to it mainly because it's his list. It's his own top 50 list of all time, like personal list. So if it's a subjective list, then that's fine. I mean, at the end of the day, art is subjective generally, but there is some objectivity that goes into it if you really want to break down and deconstruct a top 50 list of whatever. So, like, top 50 movies or whatever the case may be, like, there's going to be some disagreements. You know what I mean? Like, even for me, if I were to talk about top 50 movies, for example, I'm sure the movies that I list aren't going to be in everyone's top 50. And it's just going to be, like, my own, like, if I outline and say my personal top 50 favorite movies of all time, I'm going to have some movies in there that are going to make you laugh your ass off because at the end of the day, they were a big part of my childhood or they were a big part of my teenage years growing up, whatever the case may be. So for this top 50 rappers, for people who made their own personal list, I'm not going to get up in arms about it. I'm really not. Like, If you say that this is your own personal favorites list of all time, then go at it. You know what I mean? Go at it. Um... I remember even with that same friend, we were talking, uh, I think I was, was I tagged? No, I was tagged in, but before I was tagged in, I think I saw, you know, the uh, the, the status that he posted. I think he said, Wale is a better rap, Wale is better than Kendrick Lamar. He didn't say better rapper or better lyricist, he just said Wale is better than Kendrick Lamar. I vehemently disagreed with it. 
they're both definitely lyricists, but I think Kendrick is on a level, on another level. That was just my own personal opinion. And then we got to talking about it, and it was all love at the end of the day because, like, he he just said that he personally enjoys Wale more than Kendrick. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. If you enjoy him more than you enjoy Kendrick, that's totally fine. So it is what it is. Now, going back to these lists and what have you, I think when it comes to these lists, like, if you really want to make the most objective top 50 rappers list of all time list possible, like, as objective as possible, then I think criteria needs to be set in order. There needs to be a certain criteria that has to be put in place. So, for example, if we're talking about a top 50 uh, rappers list of all time, there needs to be categories and what have you. So, if you're talking about top 50, it can't just be based on lyrics. It can't be. Like, solely on... No. Like, we have to include everything. So, it can't just be lyrics. Lyrics is going to be one of them, of course. But there also be has to be lyrics, has to be delivery, has to be flow, and then it also has to be performance. Like how like how amazing of a performer are you like on a live stage? Because you can have an amazing lyricist, but if you're just gripping his mic um, by the actual microphone portion and standing at one spot for a two hour set, that's not really the signs of a good performer. So performance aspect needs to be. Uh, included in there as well as record sales because we need to see how much of a large reach you had so that's very important uh influence on the culture like how much of an influence did you really have on the culture when you retired or if you passed away unfortunately or even still to this day you know after 20 years strong like do you still have an influence on on the culture what trends did you set um during your career that also goes into influence and I would say, yeah, the quality of albums. Yes, quality of albums is key. Like, if you don't have a classic album, I don't even know if you deserve to be in the top 10, let alone top 5. You know what I mean? You have to have at least one classic album under your belt to at least be eligible for that. You know what I mean? You have to be at least eligible in, in that regard. So the quality of your albums and the quality of your singles and, of course, how high did your singles reach and what have you. Because, again, it goes into influence. It goes to how did you influence culture, how wide was your reach, etc. So with all that put in place, I'm not like I don't have a definitive top fifty rappers of all time. Like I, I I really don't. But if I would say if there are at least ten rappers who deserve like that top ten spot, like a top ten spot, and I'm not saying this is ironclad, but I think the majority of hip hop listeners would agree that these ten deserve to at least be considered for top ten consideration, then I would say Easily, it would have, and again, no particular order, but easily, it would have to be Jay Z, it would have to be Biggie, it would have to be Tupac, Nas, Rakim, Eminem, Snoop Dogg, potentially Ice Cube. Uh, man, uh, who else? Like, I'm thinking of like 80s and 90s rappers right now. Uh, Kanye would deserve consideration because the man has like four classic rap albums, which is insane. Um, and I'm trying to think right now of contemporaries. Those are nine rappers I can think of right now. Everyone else is jostling for that 10 spot, but you can easily, but you could literally make a case for maybe even Drake being put into that top 10, maybe even Kendrick Lamar being put into that top 10. 
You could argue for Lil Wayne to be put in that top 10. Like, there are so, there, there's so many different rappers you can argue for those top 10 slots. So, again, that was in no particular order. I was just saying that those are 10 rappers that are eligible to be placed into that top 10 arena because all those rappers at least have one classic album under their belts. They've influenced the culture in their own unique way, whether it's from the musical aspect or from maybe like a branding aspect of the music, of the culture. Um, They've all had albums or singles that have charted to a certain degree. They've all had some sort of an effect on how people rap nowadays, basically. Like, you can easily argue that with Rakim, if it weren't for his innovative style of rapping, then we wouldn't have a Biggie or Jay-Z or definitely a Nas or even like a Kendrick or 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 uh, or Drake or what the case may be because before Rakim everybody was yelling and shouting on, on their records but when he came in not only was he a bit more less or less vocal in terms of like how many octaves he was reaching but he was also rhyming within a bar he was rhyming multiple words within one stanza and he would do that for the next so on and so forth no other rappers were doing that at the time that Rakim came out so he added his influence to the game from a stylistic standpoint, from a musical standpoint. And then when we talk about Jay-Z, for example, I mean, he's not a businessman. He's a businessman. Like, he was one He was one of the early rappers who kind of brought that business influence into, into the rap game. Like, he wasn't the first, but he was one of, and definitely one of the most iconic to do it. Another rapper you can name in that same arena is Master P. He basically funded his own record label and sold albums at the back of his truck and then that basically or trunk rather and then that got the attention of major labels and from there there on the rest is history you could argue that Lil Wayne is top 10 considerable because of the way he's influenced rap culture over the last 10 years even just from an aesthetic standpoint like look how many of these rappers who have come out within the last 10 years who are now tatted up basically who now have dreads um who now have this nasally uh, vocal uh, intonation whenever they they rap their lyrics and you know to to be honest a lesser extent how many of these rappers are obsessed with lean and and coding and all that stuff like i'm not saying that's a good thing but that's the influence that Lil wayne has left on the culture basically so he's definitely impacted the culture to a certain degree and then you look at even some of your more deceased rappers like biggie or tupac for example they've influenced the culture in a multitude of ways because of the fact that they were so impactful with the music that they dropped and and how much of a legacy they left behind. I mean, there are schools across America that have classes that are dedicated to teaching um, or discussing the theory behind these two artists' music and whatnot. You know, you look at Nas and how far he's taken lyr- uh, lyricism uh, into the game. I mean, Illmatic has been studied by scholars like Michael Eric Dyson and, and Neil deGrasse Tyson and so many other, you know, literary legends, essentially. Like, that, that stuff has been studied. He has his own hall in, uh, in Howard, at Howard University, basically. I think he has a fellowship at Harvard as well, which is insane. So there, there are so many rappers that you can take into consideration that deserve to be in the top 10, at least. But when it comes to these, you know, these top five, or sorry, these top 50 discussions, I think... A lot of people they just take it a little too seriously because I get it. Hip hop is a very it's a very impactful um, uh, genre of music. It's impacted the culture of music in so many different ways. But I think people just need to chill when it comes to the list. Like I can tell when I look at certain lists and I'm like, okay, this is just for clicks, retweets, likes. 
angry comments. Like you can tell whoever made this list is definitely trolling. And it's led to other lists as well. Like I remember one of my boys sent me a a, a picture yesterday and it was a list of the top 50 cities in Canada. And Brampton was within the top five. And we all know, and no disrespect to anyone who lives in Brampton, but we all know that Brampton is not a top five city in 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 Canada. Like, it was ranked ahead of Oakville, for goodness sakes. Like, come on now. Like, Oshawa was listed at 17. And the first time I ever heard about Oshawa, someone referred to it as the Dirty Schwa, which sounds like an STD. And that person was from Oshawa. So there's no way that that is for real. So I say that to say that these lists are more for entertainment. It's more for engagement and discussion. It leads to other people having these conversations or what have you. But when it comes to this top 50 discussion, I think it's important to note that criteria, multiple criteria has to be put in place. It can't just be like, who's the best lyricist? Like, for example... Often, I've heard often that Big L should be in the top 10 or he is top 10. And for me, I can't put him there because he only did one album while he was alive. And, he, and then a posthumous album was released after his death, which was probably like a combination of like remix singles here and there. So like I can't give him that note, even though he was an incredible talent and we did not get to see the full potential of that of that artist. I don't think he left enough of a mark to be considered top 10. Now, if you want to argue if he was a top 10 lyricist or not, cool. I'd be open to that. But overall, a top 10 rapper like with the full package and everything, I don't think, I don't think he deserves to be on that list as far as top 10. Top 50, as far as top 50 rappers of all time, yeah, I'd put him in there. But to be in that top 10, top 5 realm category, I can't. There have been too many rappers who have done too much, whether they lived or they passed on, that deserved that spot over him. And that's no disrespect to him because I think he's a, he was a phenomenal talent while he was here. Like he had some of the most clever punchlines that we've heard in rap. And like I think he's one of the pioneers of punchline rap. But I feel like, and mind you, we don't know where his career could have gone had he not been murdered. But had he stayed with that same style for the rest of his career, where would that have gotten him? Because you look at punchline rappers like a J.R. Ryder or Cassidy, for example, who were just punchline rappers. And even Fabulous, to a certain extent, punchline rappers, like clever, clever with the wordplay, but they didn't really offer a whole lot beyond that. I mean, we see Cassidy now. He's doing battle raps. J.R. Wright, I'm not sure what he's doing. Fabulous. I mean, I haven't really heard a lot from Fab since the whole case with him and his, his uh, girlfriend and how he kind of abused her and what have you. So, like, but... To Fab's credit, he has stayed relevant. Like I think he know I think his relevance is due to his social media savvy and a lot of his mixtapes, like the soul soul tape series and all that. Like he knows how to stay relevant. So I give him that credit. I give him that credit. But I think you just I think you just need to have more than just punchlines to be considered like a top ten or top five rapper. Jay-Z has punchlines, but he also gives you stories, also gives you depth as well. He knows how to create a song, not just a rap song, but just a song in general. Same with Biggie. Biggie knew how to create songs as well. So you need to have more within your arsenal to be considered a top 10 rapper at the very least, as well as not just being a good rapper in terms of a skill set, but on top of that, just having other skills as well. You know, like, does every record sound the same? Like, can you make a record that can make it on a radio? Uh, what type of 
techniques can you use to make a song sound unique? Like, can you use your 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 voice as an instrument, for example? What's your perspective on these particular subjects, et cetera, et cetera? So I think that's why I would think of at least 10 other or maybe even 20 other rappers who deserve a top 10, top 5 uh, uh, recommendation rather than someone like a Big L. Because I feel like when rappers die, and ironically enough, Biggie said this, um, you're, you're nobody till somebody kills you, you know? And that's the reality of the situation. So... I don't know. It is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, but either way, you know, let me guys let me know what you guys think. Like, do you have you made your own top fifty list or top one hundred list or whatever the case may be? Um, who do you think is eligible to be in the top ten or top five? Either way, let me know. Hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. And coming up after break, we will get into some more topics to discuss, so keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we will be right back after these messages. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. Uh, so, yeah, we are still waiting on my man's DJ XP and everything Ocean, so they will be in studio uh, very soon. But nonetheless, let's keep uh, some more conversation topics going, shall we? Now, you already know, when it comes to me, ball is life, love basketball, love the game, love talking about it, love writing about it, all that good stuff. <clears throat> and it recently came out today, the list of uh, projections from ESPN as far as, you know, where every team will finish as far as placings within the Eastern and Western Conference. So, the main one that got my attention was where they have the Raptors. Now, usually... When it comes to like a lot of these Americans, uh, like American broadcasting websites or, or sorry, uh, publications, pardon me, I really don't pay them that much mind or attention because usually when it comes to their predictions for the Toronto Raptors, they get it wrong nine out of ten times, or they just get it egregiously wrong, or they just want to upset a, a certain portion of the fan base because it's fun and they do it for the reactions and what have you. So I get it. It's part of the game. It's stupid. I feel like my intelligence is being insulted to a certain degree, but I try to give it no mind. However, I did give it a little bit of mind, which is why I'm about to talk about it right now. And main reason why I gave it mind was because of whom they had in front of the Toronto Raptors. So first and foremost, they placed the Raptors fifth in their predictions, which I'm not mad at. I'm really not mad at. Like, Raptors being fifth, I'm okay with that. That's actually reasonable. I've even gone on record, on and off record, to say that the Raptors at their best will probably finish fourth place, and at their worst, they'll probably finish sixth place in the Eastern Conference. So them finishing fifth, I'm not mad at. I'm like, okay, like, I get it. Makes sense. Like, I'm not, I'm not appalled by it. However, I was a little bit disturbed when they put the Orlando Magic, of all people, ahead of the Toronto Raptors. That's when I had to pump the brakes and be like, whoa, okay, guys, come on. Like, is Markel Fultz ultimately going to get a jump shot now? Like, is is that the reasoning? Um, is that the reasoning behind their, their standings? Because that made no sense to me whatsoever. Like... Like, really, like, a, I would understand if they made, like, a big free agent signing or they made some trade acquisitions or what have you. But the Magic, more or less, had a relatively quiet offseason. I didn't really hear much about what the Magic did. 
I think they gave Terrence Ross an extension. That That's about it, really. I mean, is Mo Bamba going to turn into a superstar? How about Aaron Gordon? Like, Nikola Vucevic? Like, I know they, they re-signed him. I mean, over the Raptors, really? Like, come on. Come on, guys. Come on. So, speaking of standings, you guys know how I do. Um, if you have me connected on Facebook, for example, then you guys know how I do when it comes to my annual standings prediction list. So I'm going to give you my prediction list uh, for both conferences, all right? So as I'm going through my phone right now and searching for them, because I literally did them a couple of days ago. Ah, here we are. So we'll go by conference, all right? So we'll start off in the East, and we'll go from 8 to 1, just to make it more interesting. So from 8, I have the Miami Heats. Number seven, the Pistons. Number six, the Pacers. Number five, the Nets. Number four, the Raptors. Number three, the Celtics. Number two, the Sixers. And number one, the Bucks. So I'll give you the reasoning for why I had whom and where. So Heat, I feel like they gave up a lot in order to get Jimmy Butler. And with Jimmy Butler being the only scorer on that team, like, as in someone who can get their own buckets and what have you, I feel like that's going to work against them. I feel like everyone else is just going to be kind of being going to watch idly. And I don't know how they're going to react to his style of leadership. So that's going to be interesting to see. But I think they're going to do just enough. They're going to play hard enough to get the eighth seed. That's why I personally believe. The Pistons, I uh, have them at seven. They'll probably be a game or two higher than the Heat in that regard. And, you know, with the addition of Derrick Rose, with – um. Who else did they add? They added Michael Beasley as well. He'll most likely come off the bench. I think they'll improve just a little bit more than they did the season before. Plus, you're going to get a healthy Blake Griffin, which is always a plus. I mean, by the end of last year, the man was basically playing on one leg. Uh, so it should be interesting to see what changes that they'll go through for next season. But I think they'll be slightly better than what they were this past season. The Pacers, they did get Malcolm Brogdon, which is a which is a big upgrade at the point guard spot. However, losing Boyan Bogdanovich was huge because that was like one of your main scoring options outside of Victor Oladipo. Um, also, losing Thaddeus Young from the fourth spot was pretty huge for them, so that's going to be a big hit. But that, prov- that, that presents an opportunity for Miles Turner to also be uh, an impact player on offense because we already know what he, what he brings to defense, but he's an athletic big who is capable of getting his own buckets as well. So I think this, this presents a big opportunity for him. And then with Victor Oladipo, hopefully he's going to be healthy, like 100% healthy or even somewhere close to that. Uh, but with the amount of firepower that they lost that complemented him, I think that's going to hurt them in the long run. Uh, but they'll definitely make the playoffs still, but I think they'll be a lower seed in that regard. Um, at number five, I have the Nets. So I have the Nets because – they were basically they were what the sixth seed last season uh, without Kyrie Irving and now with them they'll get a little bit better but I don't really see them going into that top four seed territory. Of course, if Kevin Durant was healthy, it would be a completely different story. We'd be talking top three at the very least. Um, but in that regard, I think they'll do slightly better as far as their win loss record is concerned. And I want to see how Kyrie acclimates himself with the team because they already had a good dynamic going on without him and with D'Angelo Russell in his place. So now that he's coming to the team, I'm curious to see how he does because last year he didn't do so well, you know, trying to be the leader of a young team. And going over to Brooklyn, you're once again going to be the leader of a young team. So will will, will you re- repeat the same mistake twice or will you learn from 
what happened in Boston and now try and improve yourself. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, they also got DeAndre Jordan as well. So he'll be the starting big, I'm assuming, at, starting at the five. And then they'll have um, – Oh, shoot, I had that guy's name in my head for a second. The, the dude with the afro. I can't remember his name right now. But he was their starting five, and now he's going to be coming off the bench. So that's going to be a luxury for them at the five spot, which is always a good look. Uh, number four, the Raptors. So, obviously, losing Kawhi is a big hit because that's the majority of your offense right there. However, as we saw last season in a small sample size, no less, the Raptors were 17-5 and five without Kawhi Leonard. And they had some notable games without Kawhi. They, they, like, they played against the Lakers at Staples Center without Kawhi, and they blew the Lakers out of their own building. And then that next night, the very next night, they played against the Warriors and blew the Warriors out of their own building as well, like we've been doing this all year. But, hey, humble brag. Um, they did it. And mind you, this was before the Gasol trade. So we still had JV. We still had DeLon Wright and those boys. And mind you, on the Warriors' side, they had everyone minus DeMarcus Cousins, which even then doesn't really make a difference. No disrespect, of course, especially with the recent news. Um, but, yeah, they had KD. They had every man on deck. They, they had their big four on deck. And they still got wiped by 20, 25 points roughly. So that shows you what type of chemistry that that team has and how capable they are of playing without a high-profile superstar. On top of that, that presents the opportunity for Pascal Siakam to become a star. I'm not saying he's going to become a superstar overnight, almost like, <coughs> pardon me, almost like Giannis did, for example. Of course, if he does, amazing. But we do expect Pascal to take that next step into his career and become an all-star, especially now that there are so many shots available. There's about, how many shots did Kawhi take per game? Maybe about 10, 15 shots per game, give or take. And there's gonna be they're gonna be up for grabs, and you know Fred Van Vliet is gonna have a big year because it's a contract year for him. Lowry he's looking to have a big year because again a contract year for him as well. Contract year for Marcus. There's a contract year for a lot of guys. Marcus Sol, Serge Ibaka. So we'll see how that comes into play. But we're also expecting big years out of Norman Powell and OG and Anobi. Norman Powell had a pretty decent year this year, and he's been learning a lot from Danny Green. And I feel like what he learned from Danny Green, he's gonna take into his game as well and then OG I think he's gonna have a, a solid year he's gonna be like hey you guys forgot about me watch me do what I do I think he's gonna have one of those years so it's gonna be fun to see it's gonna be it's gonna be a competitive year for the Raptors like I don't see them going into the finals again of course but I do see them being competitive and that's the most important thing the last thing you want is to win a championship one year and then the very next year just dip into obscurity. That would be the worst thing, and I don't want to see that for the Raptors fan base or for the franchise. Uh, Celtics number three. I feel like that three spot is going to be uh, is going to be up for grabs between the Raptors and the Celtics. I think they're going to jostle for it, and I think there's going to be a slim amount of games between them. So I feel like if the Celtics win that three seed, they're going to win it by like a game, maybe between like a half game to like a game and a half at best. Um, they kind of went down a little bit, so. Yeah, they lost Kyrie, but they got Kemba in his place. But then they lost Al Horford. That's their glue guy. That's the guy that puts everything together. So that veteran presence is going to be needed. I don't believe that Ennis Cantor can bring that veteran presence because 
Cantor is a bit immature in that regard, so I don't think he can bring it. And that defense, uh, that defense on the on the perimeter and, and in the block especially is going to be missed from Horford because of the fact that he was able to trap guys like Embiid and and other big name uh, fives who are in the league as well. So that's going to be missed. So I think they're going to go down a bit, but I think they'll be good enough that they'll be a three seed or a top four seed at the very least. Now that you have the the ball being uh, freed up, you have the likes of Jalen Brown who are going to get more touches. You have um, you have uh, oh why am I forgetting this man's name right now? Jalen Brown, uh, Jason Tatum, <laughs> Jason Tatum, like he's going to return back to form like like we saw in his rookie year because there's going to be a lot more touches. Like I know Kemba um, likes to have a lot of possessions, but he seems to be a team player. He likes to thrive in team in in team situations or what have you a bit more than Kyrie. So we will see how that develops and him being the leader of Team USA like he that's that's going to be his chance right there to prove that. So, again, we will see uh, Sixers at number two. On paper, they look like a top two uh, seeded team. I mean, not only did you re-sign Tobias Harris, but then you also signed Al Horford, who's going to play the four next to Joel Embiid. That's going to be huge. That is going to be huge. So I'm very curious to see how that how that plays out. Um, I think their their bench is still a little bit thin. They're still very top heavy in the starting five, but. They have enough talent to be a top three seed at the very least in the Eastern Conference. And then the Bucks, number one, I see them being a number one team once again in the in the Eastern Conference. Losing Brogdon was a huge blow because he gave you so many efficient numbers, like 50-40-90. Whereas Eric Bledsoe, I don't think he's the better point guard. I think he's a more athletic between the two. Like he looks like a linebacker, you know, in in an NBA point guard body, essentially. But as far as fundamentals and what have you, I think Brogdon gave you much more as a starting caliber point guard than Eric Bledsoe did. So I think they should have thrown their money at Brogdon rather than Bledsoe. I think they kind of pulled the trigger a little too early on Bledsoe. Um, but now Bledsoe has a chance to actually prove himself, especially how he just kind of shut down during the playoffs this year against the Raptors. So, again, we will see how those things develop. And I would hope that Giannis starts to develop more of a jump shot and also better ways to um, – alleviate the pressure off himself when he has high-level defenders like Kawhi Leonard or Paul George on him because we saw how that played out in the postseason and he kind of got exposed but he's only 24 so he's got more room to grow and he's not even in his prime yet you know health you know barring health or whatever what have you he will only grow and get better so those are my top eight picks for the Eastern Conference this year now going to the West uh, we have Spurs at number eight by the way, this is very difficult because it's going to be a dogfight in the West this year. Uh, but nonetheless, I have the Spurs at number eight. I have the Warriors at number six. Sorry, number seven, pardon me. Uh, I have the Rockets at number six. I have the Jazz at five. Blazers at four. Lakers at three. Ooh, don't get mad at me, Laker fans. Uh, Clippers at two and Nuggets at number one. So I posted this on my Facebook and a lot of people kind of raised their antennas at what I was saying. I was expecting a bit more backlash, but I got a little bit, but not as much as I was, I was expecting, which was a little surprised. But nonetheless, I dealt with the backlash that I received anyway, which is cool. Um, and a lot of people were saying, oh, Clippers should be number one. Lakers should be number one. What are you talking about? You're acting like they didn't make any moves. Denver, what are you talking about Denver for? Oh, boy. Everybody's always looking for the sexy headlines, the, the sexy picks, and all that stuff. When people don't realize that at the end of the day, 
what it comes down to is this. The Nuggets were, what, the two seed last year? And they're only the two seed by, what, two games at best? For the majority of the year, or at least half the year, they were a number one seed in the Western Conference. But people weren't paying attention to them because there's no sexy superstars on the team. Nikola Jokic is nice, but he's not someone that screams out marquee attention. Jamal Murray is nice, but he's not at that on that echelon yet. So taking that into consideration, a lot of people were like, oh, Denver. What do you mean Denver? Of course, it's not a sexy city like Los Angeles, but at the end of the day, they deserve that number one recognition because of the fact that they've already been number one. They've already been a number one seed before for a certain amount of time, but they have they have shown the ability that, that they can get there. And now that they have the most continuity, pardon me, the most continuity out of any other team in the Western Conference and arguably any other team in the league, you can only assume, again, barring injury, that they would be the favorite to climb up the ladder of the West to be that number one seed because of continuity. They they extended Murray. They picked up the option on on uh, on Millsap, and they have Michael Porter Jr. coming back from injury. Mind you, he's going to be the trump card of the X factor or the or the uh, the ace in the hole, so to speak. But even if he doesn't come back. You still have a team that is no, that is worthy enough to grab that number one seed. So continuity plays a big role in this, and their players, their core, who are basically below the age of 25, are only going to get better. Nikola Jokic is only going to get better. Murray is only going to get better. Uh, Gary Harris is only going to get better, like so on and so forth. Like Will Barton off the bench. These guys are deep. They are deep. They have the best continuity. They have a good bench rotation. These guys are where it's at. Um, I had the Clippers at number two because I feel as though load management is going to play a role in this upcoming year. We saw that with Kawhi Leonard. We saw how successful it was with him. So I don't see why he wouldn't be wanting to do load management again this year. And I'm sure they'll alternate between him and Paul George and what have you. Uh, Lakers, I'm, they're definitely doing load management. Like, lo, like LeBron was doing load, man, load management before he became cool, especially at his age at 35. Davis is going to be doing it as well because he's injury prone. DeMarcus Cousins, unfortunately, he went down with a season-ending injury before training camp even began. So that leaves you to beg, you know, who is going to pick up the pieces as the season goes along? Is it going to be Danny Green, who's also up there in age? Is it going to be Rondo, who's not really of a scorer at all? He's, he's more of a, a facilitator. It's got to be Kuzman because he's the next up in line. Well, he averaged, what, about 18 points a game last year, give or take? It's got to be him. He's got to be the number three guy on this team, I find. Um, so yeah, that's why I have them at number three and still some people are getting mad at that, but Hey, Laker fans, you can't please them all. Right. Uh, Blazers, I have them at number four. They will be a top four seed this year. I believe again, they have some continuity on their end. Plus they have the addition of Hassan Whiteside. I don't really like that guy, but he is a decent enough rim protector that he will make it difficult for opposing teams to get into the paint. And then they will have uh, Yusuf Nurkic coming back as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they integrate him back onto the squad. Who else did I add in here? We have the Jazz. I really wanted to add the Jazz into the top four. I don't know if they'll get it, though. I don't know if they get it. But they did make some sound moves. They got Boyan Bogdanovic as another scoring option. They got Mike Conley to pair up with Donovan Mitchell. So that is a very intriguing backcourt. I'm not going to say it's a super backcourt, but it's a very intriguing backcourt, I will say. Uh, they still have Joe Ingles, so he'll give you that that 
that uh, three and D that that they'll be looking for the spacing. Um, and who else do they have? I can't. Th- I think they traded away Derek Favors or, the, or or they let him walk in order to get Boyan Bogdanovich. But they do have a solid team. I do like their team. I think on paper it looks better than what they had last year. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare not only in the regular season but in the playoffs as well. Uh, let's see who else did I have here. Number six was Rockets. Yes. That is arguably the most intriguing story, at least in the Western Conference, arguably in the league, because you have two former MVPs, two two players who won MVP within the last three years of the league, who are now playing together, who are still in their primes, is almost unprecedented. I say almost because we just had KD and Steph play together, and again, they won MVP uh, within the last uh, five years uh, within the league. So, again, that was unprecedented as well. But with these two players, they are very ball-dominant. They are the two most ball-dominant players that we have in the league. So it'll be interesting to see which one of these players sacrifices their game and defers to the other. And you would imagine that it has to be Russ because that is Harden's team. And Harden had to play behind Russ for so long. So I think Russ, in a way, kind of has to return the favor because that's not his house. That's Harden's house. So we will see how that develops. But that will be a fun team to watch, though. More than anything, that will be a fun team. Definitely a league pass team. Warriors at 7, and it hurts to put them at 7. But I'm only putting them there because of the injury to Klay Thompson. He probably won't be back until after the All-Star break in February. So getting ready for the playoffs with, with the last 30 games left of the season. So during that time, their perimeter defense is going to take a hit because – Neither Steph nor D'Angelo Russell have the, the, the wing length in order to cover the perimeter. Um, I think Draymond is going to have a breakout year this year. I'm not going to say that it's going to be his best year, but he's going to have a solid year because he can start playing like Draymond once again. Because I feel like in games that Durant wasn't playing, he played like full-level Draymond. So I think we're going to see that out of him. And their, their depth has take, their depth has taken a hit over the last few years to supplement Kevin Durant. And without him now they're going to be put to the test. So I think other teams are going to have their number in that regard. And then number eight, I have the Spurs because until I see it with my very own eyes, I can't count out Pop. Like, this guy has gotten the Spurs to the playoffs for 22 seasons in a row. That is the longest streak in um, North American sports today. I, I can't see him not making the playoffs unless – the Mavericks or the uh, or the Sacramento Kings make a surprise, but I just don't see it. On top of that, they're getting back Dejounte Murray from his ACL injury, and that's going to put him at the one, which means that Demar will go back to his natural position at the two. So he's going to be scoring a lot more than he did last year. And then Lamarcus Aldridge is still a top ten caliber power forward in the league. So I just don't see them. I just don't see them missing the playoffs. I I don't see it. Like I have to see it to believe it in order for me to say otherwise. But nonetheless, those are my top 10 picks for – or sorry, my top eight picks for Eastern Conference and Western Conference standings. And kind of going back to what I was saying before, you know, in regards to the Toronto Raptors being placed fifth and one spot um, behind the Magic, uh, it, it's low-hanging fruit. It's low-hanging fruit. I, If I were a Raptors fan, I wouldn't even be offended because you already know how it is with a lot of these American – um, publications, whether it's whether it's ESPN or if it's Sports Illustrated, they do this for reactions. They know people are going to react. NBA Twitter is going to lose their is going to lose their shit. 
Raptors Twitter especially is going to lose their shit. I think the American, I think some of the American publications already know how sensitive and insecure of a fan base that the Raptors fan base is. I'm just calling it like it is, and, and there is reasons for that insecurity. Um, but at the end of the day, you guys already know what the okie doke is. You guys are the defending champions. Hold your heads high, like Tachaka said to his son. Stand up. You are a king. You guys are champions. Who cares what the Americans are thinking? I just said I just wanted to bring this up as as not only a talking point but as a laughing point because it's laughable. Like even the most skeptical of Raptor fans or non-Raptor fans will look at that and be like, "Okay, guys, come on!" Like ahead of the Raptors, fourth place, come on! Like I don't see it. Like unless they unless there's a big deal that we don't know about that they know about, I don't see them being ahead of the Raptors in that regard. But again, it is what it is. But what do you guys think? Do you guys think it's a whole bunch of malarkey? Do you guys agree with the list that I came up with? Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. Uh, after the break, we will break down some of the main topics that I will get into. And then we still have XP and Oshan coming to the studio. They'll come in a little bit later. They're just uh, going through some... Uh, Issues on the Via Rail right now, but we will have them in studio. So this episode of Cool Radio will be extended, but, you know, I got to make sure that I keep my promises. Told them that I'd be waiting in studio for them, and that is exactly what I'll do. And with that said, keeping my promise to you guys in, in regards to having them in the studio. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio, and we will be right back after these messages. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Once again, it's your man, DM Cool, and this is Cool Radio. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down Trip Talk for a moment, all right? I'm going to extend it as long as I possibly can. So Trip Talk, you guys already know, three of the hottest topics that took place within hip-hop and pop culture in general. Uh, and then once I get XP and Oshan in studio, we will discuss these topics and get their takes and opinions on them as well. So... With that said, let's get to the first one. So let's get to, let's see here. There's some good ones I want to get into as well. You know what? Let's get into the Rich Paul rule, all right, since we're kind of already transitioning uh, from the NBA topic. So let's talk about Rich Paul. So for those of you who do not know, Rich Paul is the agent of LeBron James as well as a, a few other high-profile NBA players such as Ben Simmons and Anthony Davis, to name a few. Uh, he has associated himself with LeBron James ever since LeBron James was drafted into the NBA. And he has his own – and he co-owns his own um, uh, sports agency called Clutch Sports. Uh, he co-owns it with LeBron James, which is somewhat of a conflict of interest conflict of interest in regards to LeBron because he is also an active player. But, hey, I'm not discussing that. I'm not discussing that. I don't want to sound like a LeBron hater. I'm just saying. Anyways, so Rich Paul has been known to get – a lot of his high-profile clients, some lucrative deals. And he also has clients who are coming out of high school and look and are looking to go the collegiate route. But he has also advised uh, a lot of them to go and play overseas to get that professional experience and actually get paid. And then come to the NBA after a year or two of getting professional basketball under their belts. So that has, and the NCAA will not admit this, but that really has the NCAA... Um, very uncomfortable because what they did uh, within the last week or so is they instituted a rule where agents, like if you are a college athlete and you are looking to get an agent, then your agent has to have a bachelor's degree. All right. And Rich Paul does not have a bachelor's degree. 
So they use it as a way to basically protect their own financial investments and interest when it comes to recruiting young players to play in the NCAA. Because as some of you already know, when you are in the NCAA as a student athlete, you do not get paid nor are you financially compensated. There are the there are the few cases that may get a scholarship, but that scholarship may not be a full ride. It may not be guaranteed for the entire four year duration. There may be some contingencies that do come with the scholarship, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. On top of that, a lot of these student athletes are not allowed to have a part time job while they are uh, committed to the NCAA, and they're not allowed to accept uh, gifts or any type of financial compensation from people outside of the NCAA because it is then seen as a bribe, even though coaches are getting paid salary, but players aren't. So we're going to get into all of that. But basically, they made this rule so that they can protect their investments so that they'll have a large number of high school athletes coming into the NCAA so that NCAA can still become or still be the NCAA with March Madness and what have you and the billions of dollars that are spent on revenue and advertisements and what have you. But if you have a large amount of players who are in high school who are now going overseas to play for a year and then going straight to the NBA, well, then you don't have the March Madness anymore. You don't have the billions of dollars that a lot of these investors are putting into the NCAA because now players are putting an onus on themselves to invest in themselves financially and then bring that into the NBA when the time is right. But the NCAA doesn't want that. They still want to endorse and promote free labor. So with that said, a lot of people, including LeBron James, and I think LeBron was the one who coined it, or at least was the one who made it popular, they have called this this rule the Rich Paul rule because they know how powerful uh, of an agent that Rich Paul either is or is becoming nowadays. He's been very noteworthy within the last five years, especially being caught up in the headlines and the news and what have you. But he is definitely flexing his muscle uh, within the sports uh, sports industry. And the NCAA doesn't like that. And so a lot of people called them out for for racism, for discrimination, for institutionalized racism because of the fact that he does that he's a black man who doesn't have a college degree. And the NCAA recognized this. They saw how bad of a PR hit this would be if they would let this if they would allow this to continue. So what they did was they rescinded this rule. So this rule is now no, no longer in place. But it's only no longer in place because they realized how much of a backlash they were getting from this rule and from, from the institutional from the uh, institutionalization of this rule. And had there been no backlash, public backlash, I should say, then this rule would still be in place. And at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, in the business of sports agency and just in a lot of businesses in general, they're not necessarily looking to see if you have the college or university degree. They're looking to see if you have the experience. They're looking to see what clientele you have. I'm talking about in sports agency they're they're looking to see what what clientele you have or have had previously how much money you've generated for your clients and going back to the first point how many years of experience you've had so if you have the track record of a chris of a sorry of a rich paul then of course you are more than qualified to be an agent i mean look at Look at Dennis, Dennis, I think his last name is Robertson, Dennis Robinson, a.k.a. Uncle Dennis, the uncle to Kawhi Leonard. Last time I checked, he wasn't somebody who went to school for sports agency education. And look at him. He is the agent of, or at least part of the agency team 
of Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi Leonard has gotten a lot of endorsements over the last year, especially with um, with uh, New Balance. He's the first athlete for New Balance to have a signature shoe deal. And look at all the marketing that went behind it. The fun guy, board man gets paid. Like, that became a thing during the NBA playoffs. And he was able to help secure that deal for him. And he has no... Uh, background education on sports agency whatsoever so it really matters on what your experience level is and who your client base is as well like there's a lot of there's a lot of age there's a lot of fields in entertainment for example where you have you may have an actor or a musician whose agent may not be from that cloth of being uh, college or university educated within within that realm or that spectrum. You look at the show Entourage, for example, which was a which is based on the true story of the events that happened to Mark Wahlberg during his up and coming career as an as an actor and entertainer and what he had to go through. And if you remember in that show, Eric or E was the was the manager for for uh, Vince Vinny Chase, and he had no experience as a manager whatsoever. The agent was Ari Gold, and he would have to collaborate with Ari on certain deals and what have you. And the main reason why he was named his manager is because he trusts him. He had, he had his his best interests at heart and in mind. So that kind of goes back to Rich Paul as well. He had LeBron's best interests at heart because of the fact that they've known each other since high school, and they've been with, with each other since then. And look at what he's turned himself into now. He's basically a self-made millionaire at this point. So the NCAA, for them doing that, it was dirty. And like This is easily Wankster of the Week material. But I saved that for somebody else because that was a bit more deserving in that regard. But nonetheless, at the end of the day, the NCAA, they messed up. And they knew they messed up because of the fact that being college or university educated within that field has nothing to do with doing a good job. All you need, all you need is the experience. And to be honest, you just need experience nowadays in general for almost any field. I would say the only fields where you definitely need education is is law and medicine. Law, law, medicine, and engineering as well. Those are the three that you definitely need education for: law, medicine, engineering. If you don't have education for those things. People aren't going to trust you with the most meticulous things that need to be done within that field. But everything else is fair game. You just need the experience. Like There are people who are respected journalists, whether they're writers or or they've interviewed some high-profile people who did not go to school for journalism, nor did they finish school for journalism. A lot of people. I don't know if I'm at liberty to say you know their names and what have you, but they... Didn't neither, neither did they finish school nor did they attend school for that specific field that they're in. And lo and behold, they're some of the biggest names that we have in this in this uh, field of journalism. So again, you don't really need a whole lot of education for a lot of these fields nowadays. You need the experience. You look at Charlemagne the God, for example. Charlemagne the God did not go to school for broadcast journalism, yet he is one of the top five biggest radio personalities in America and arguably in the world as well. This guy's won awards. He's, he's, he's written books. He's been on TV as well. He's produced shows for MTV and for VH1. Like, this guy is damn near all over the place. He has his own podcast, et cetera, et cetera. This guy is doing big things, and he does not have a background education in broadcast journalism. The man went to – the man basically volunteered at a radio station – 
in uh, in either North or South Carolina, and then from there he was able to get a to get his first start with Wendy Williams, and from there the rest is history. Like <laughs> like you don't need a a college or university degree in order to get to a lot of these places nowadays. All you need are two things: experience and network. You need to know the right people, and you just have to possess the right tools. Like that is it. That is it. That's all you need. So going back to going back to this NCAA stuff, they 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 made themselves look silly. They made themselves look silly. They exposed themselves, and they let people know that they're still the money hungry, uh, the money hungry you know organization that wants to rob all these kids of their talent and their energy and effort, and not give anything back in return, like. None of this really opened up to me until about 10 years or less than 10 years ago, but within that time frame when 30 for 30 uh, launched the documentary of the uh, of the, uh, the 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 Fab Five. And these guys got milked for everything that they were worth. They were the most popular team in college in college sports. And they were and they had their own and they had brands. They had the they were, they were being marketed for the long shorts, the, the black socks, the sneakers. And none of that money went to them. You know what I mean? And honestly, when it comes to boosters and all these terms that they like to throw out, yeah, these guys like to throw a little money at at the players and with the hopes that they will give, give them something back in return. And at the end of the day, all these guys did was give them money because they didn't have any. Like, God forbid your coach pays for a slice of pizza because you were hungry, because you didn't have the money to buy any food, like groceries or anything like that, and then you get your scholarship taken away, or you get your your seat on the bench taken away because of the fact that you took a bribe, quote unquote. So, at the end of the day, man, the NCAA they really need to fix up their laws that they've been instituting for the longest time, like. If you're really worried about these players not coming to the NCAA, then change up these rules, man. Like, either pay them a salary because you're making too much money to not pay these players. Because we're not paying to see the coaches. We're not paying to see the marching bands or the cheerleaders. We're paying, like, we watch these games because of the players. So, either pay these players a salary, give them a stipend so that they can facilitate that into room and board and food and whatever the case may be. Or at the very least, and this won't solve anything, there's still a lot more work to do. Or at the very least, let them have a part-time job or let them accept money from people outside the NCAA so that they can actually live. Do one of those three. Hell, all three if you can. But either way, these players deserve financial compensation. And the fact that they still haven't been getting financial compensation to this day is mind-boggling. And people talk about the player empowerment movement happening in the NBA. Oh, it's going down to the NCAA as well. Please believe, please believe that all these varsity athletes who are now eligible for college university, they are looking to go and play overseas because they know that they'll get paid over there. Like they, you got players over there who've been playing from their from when they were sixteen. They will throw out contracts to these players to play for their teams, so that they can go and make millions of dollars, and then that way they'll make their way back to the NBA. Brandon Jennings did it. You got a whole bunch of players who, who, who've been doing uh, Dante Exum did it. I'm telling you, it, that's going to be the new wave. I think LaMelo Ball is doing that right now. He, There's a lot of players who are going to be doing that. Hell, female basketball players get paid more in the EuroLeague than they do in the WNBA. 
Now, that's a separate story all in itself. But going back to his main topic, I think they were fools for trying to institute this rule in the first place. And it, and it really exposed them for the crooks that they are. So it is what it is. And we'll see how it, it develops going forward. But do you guys agree? Do you disagree? Either way, hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. Now let's get to Jay-Z. Now this one's interesting. It's very interesting. And it had a lot of people divided. Now in case you don't know, Jay-Z... Uh, and the NFL have made a partnership agreement that involves uh, Rock Nation, all right? So this one is mostly an entertainment deal where I guess Jay-Z will have his artists perform for the Super Bowl halftime show. They didn't specifically, you know, um, point that out, but when it comes to entertainment, you know, the NFL likes to reach out to a lot of artists, a lot of high-profile artists for their Super Bowl uh, halftime presentations, what have you. So I think that's going to come into play. And there's also going to come into play um, social outreach as well. So the interesting is this, interesting thing is this. I think a lot of people glossed over the social outreach aspect of this, of this deal, of this partnership between Jay and the NFL. And they looked at Jay and said, well, hold on. Aren't you the guy who told Travis Scott – not to perform at the Super Bowl? Aren't you the guy who wants to boycott the Super Bowl? Aren't you the guy who said in his music, um, I don't need the NFL, the NFL need me, et cetera, et cetera? And sure, you could point that out, but I don't think we're looking – I don't think some of those people are looking to the full context of this, of this partnership that he's made with the NFL. Now, first and foremost, when Jay makes a deal – he doesn't just make a deal just for the sake of making a deal. Because at the end of the day, we have to remember, Jay-Z is not a businessman. He's a business, man. We know this. We know this. And he's not going to put his nose into anything that he doesn't see the potential in. And Jay-Z, for the better part of, I want to say, within the last 10 years at the very least, within the last 10 years, he has done his part in terms of social outreach and making black voices known and heard and represented throughout and through and, and within he wants black people to be represented in areas of arts entertainment media where they haven't been highly represented before so i think there's a situation where there was a a racial discrimination case that happened with macy's and he became a member of the board or something to that extent this is a few years back and people were wondering why Jay-Z decided to join with, to partner up with Macy's, and that was the exact reason why. And I think Jay-Z knows that in order to exercise change within some of these places that, that institute you know, systemic racism and what have you, you have to infiltrate it. You have to be a part of that system, but in your own unique way. You have to be on the inside. Protesting isn't enough because at the end of the day, when it came to the top 10 ratings in television in America, NFL – basically took over those ratings. So the protesting isn't working. So what do you do? You work from the inside. You work from within. I'm, bring, I'm about to bring out a nerd a nerd reference, but in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. was the com well, Shield was the organization that brought down HYDRA, but there was one HYDRA agent left who was captured by S.H.I.E.L.D. and had to work for S.H.I.E.L.D., but he, he actually reactivated HYDRA from within, and it became a parasite growing within to the point where S.H.I.E.L.D., at that point was divided between S.H.I.E.L.D. members and HYDRA members, and people didn't know until, you know, the final scene of the movie. Nerd reference, I know, but basically the point is, if you want to, in if you want to institutionalize change, you have to work from within. That's why there should be more 
police officers of color, black, Latino, Arabic, etc., to work within so that we can break down these systemic bars of racism that that put that put down people of oppressed and minority communities. And this is a similar situation. If you want to institute change, you got to work from within. So I think when it comes to Jay-Z and this partnership deal that he has with the NFL, I think that he's tried to work within. I think Jay-Z has done and said too much to just do a complete 180 and say, yeah, I'm not really about the social activist stuff anymore. I'm about my money, solely about my money. And don't get me wrong. Jay is about his money. He's definitely about his money. But he's also about his brand as well. And he knows that if he joined the NFL with no reason at all, other than just for entertainment purposes, it would damage his brand within the hip-hop community because of the fact that he's an elder statesman and that he's promoting, he's been promoting change for quite some time. I mean, even with we, uh, Meek Mill uh, recently, with the uh, uh, justice reform, like, he's been advocating that for a long time. Like, he's been bringing Mick Mill under his wing saying, listen, these are the moves that you need to be making. This is what you should be saying, et cetera, et cetera. He's been doing that for Meek for the longest time now. So for him to do it to, for him to just say, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, um, yeah, just sell out now. I mean, that's not Jay-Z. Like, and he knows that like Jay-Z is not an idiot. He knows exactly what he's doing. I was a little surprised at the story, but when I read into it, I'm like, okay, this is what he's doing. Like, I was surprised, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm waiting for the main purpose. You know, I, I'm not going to jump out and uh, just jump to conclusions and say, oh, my God, he's selling out. Now, a lot of people are, are disappointed that he didn't reach out to – that he allegedly didn't reach out to Colin Kaepernick about this because some, some people are saying that he did. Some people are saying that he didn't. So I don't know what's real and what's not and who's who and all that stuff. But – Let's say he didn't reach out to Colin Kaepernick. I don't think that's a problem. Unless if him and Kaepernick have been vocal with one another and they've communicated regularly. I mean, for all I know, they may have communicated behind the scenes about this. I don't know. And if that's the case, I mean, can we really get mad? Like, did Colin Kaepernick communicate with Jay-Z when he reached a settlement with the NFL uh, within the last year? I mean, that's something that you got to ask yourself as well, if that's the case, because we got to keep the same energy. Um, so I don't think it's up to – I don't think Jay-Z has to consult Colin Kaepernick about the type of deal that he wants to make with the NFL in that regard, especially if it involves social change. I really don't think so. Like, I think we should at least – Gave, give Jay-Z the benefit of the doubt at this point in his career that whatever moves he's making is for the betterment of not only hip-hop culture but black culture to a certain extent as well when it comes to representing athletes and entertainers because he's been about that for the longest time. So I'm curious to see where this will go. And even just on the business side, I think that's smart because we've had a lot of artists within the hip-hop circle kind of pull out of the Super Bowl within the last three or four years because of the whole Colin Kaepernick situation. So if now JC has created a situation where only artists who are contracted to Rock Nation can perform at the Super Bowl for the duration of this partnership, again, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. That's a smart play on Jay's part. Not only is he you know, promoting social change potentially from the inside, 
but now he also has his artist headlining um, the Super Bowl. So that includes Rihanna. That includes J. Cole. That includes uh, uh, the, the Melanie Fiona. That that includes not only just people who are signed to Rock Nation Records, but Rock Nation management as well. So that includes a lot of people, both in the hip-hop spectrum and pop spectrum in general. So again, he gets to have his cake and eat it too. I get to promote social change, and I get to have all my artists under the Rock Nation umbrella perform at the Super Bowl. What a time to be alive. I tell you, man, Jay, he's, he's got one hand on the steering wheel. He's got one hand on the steering wheel, and the other hand is signing checks, man. Can't get mad at a dude like that. So we'll see how it all develops going forward. But what do you guys think about that? Again, you already know what the deal is. Hit me up on social media at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. And the last topic I want to hit up on, and mind you, I still got Oshan and XP coming into the studio later tonight as well, and I'll get their perspective on these topics. Um, let's talk about Nicki Minaj real quick. Let's talk about Nicki Minaj. Um, before we do, though, before we do, we're going to take a quick break. Quick break. Let me catch my breath for a minute because I've been talking for the last, what, hour and a half almost, give or take? Almost. But, yeah, going to take a little bit of a break. And when we come back, we'll get into the Nick and Minaj story. So this is Cool Radio. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 